It's Positivity City on happy times and places as I, Toby Haydoke, and my guest see if we can agree on the best things about a Doctor Who story. Hi, Toby. It's Derek here. Thank you so much for letting me participate in this. Although I'm normally a Star Trek fan, Doctor Who, classic Doctor Who, will always have a special place in my heart. And it's Tom Baker who is my doctor. The serial is Mike Nightmare of Eden. And over the years, it's had a critical lambasting from fans and reviewers for various reasons. But I would like people just maybe to give it a second try. Well, welcome back. It's time for episode two of Nightmare of Eden, which has been chosen for me by my friend Derek, who I haven't seen in a very long time, actually. So uh, it's nice to reach out to somebody who doesn't live far away from me at all. But uh, you think you're in touch with people because of Facebook and social media, and then you go, I might not have seen them for a decade. So thanks for doing this, Derek. I love that, and I love the fact that it's given an excuse to talk, even though we haven't actually even talked directly. And I'm not talking to you directly either, gentle listener, but I appreciate the fact that you're there, and I hope you will enjoy joining me in the corridors of the Empress uh, as we press play on episode two of Nightmare on... Of Eden. <laughs> I know this stuff, but it's funny when you're talking out loud directly, you suddenly go full of doubt. Nightmare and Eden. Nightmare of Eden. Nightmare on Eden. Not what? <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, he's, he, he knows a lot about Doctor Who. Does he know what all the stories are called? Of course he does. Only an idiot doesn't know what all the stories are called. Right. <clears throat> so uh, we're going to press play. In three, two, one, go. Uh, that's what it was. It's because today or the, the other day, I released the video uh, version of this. Hello, viewers, uh, which comes out much later than the audio because it takes longer to put together and upload and all of that. Uh, and it's of uh, the Rebos operation, which I still sometimes by accident call the Rebos operation because that's how I knew it for years and years and years and years until I'd seen it. It's odd because I, I Nightmare of Eden, it's Nightmare of Eden um, uh, by Bob Bacar. Um, Nightmare of Eden. Um, I remember I remember this episode beginning with the the. The, the reprise with the with the video effect fly thing uh which i suppose is the only way you can do a sort of flying insect but it's not it's not great that unfortunately um but you know it does the job it tells you tells you what's going on um and i, I love that image of the two ships together fused together that was my choice for episode one um and so yes uh someone on facebook said uh don't worry about the reverse operation these are the mistakes i make Warriors from the yes, you can see somebody holding that, uh, holding that panel. Um, uh, yeah, Warriors from the Deep, Nightmare of Eden, and uh, uh, was it? the the Sunmakers were all the ones that confused them. I still sometimes struggle with whether Time Lords one word or two either. <laughs> um, I think it's because it's stuff that you know that if it's really ever important, you can just look at it and you so you don't commit it to memory, which is why now. You know, we forget stuff so quickly because when you were a kid, you had to commit a lot of this knowledge that you had about Doctor Who to memory if you read it, because you might have read it in a news agent for a magazine you couldn't afford to buy. Whereas now, of course, if you need to know anything, you can just look on Wikipedia. And I'm not talking about Doctor Who now. I mean, there's loads of things where I think, oh, I don't know a thing. I'll look it up. But you look it up 
to satisfy your craving for the knowledge there and then but you don't necessarily commit it to memory because you know if ever you need to find it out again you'll look it up again so i don't remember recipes in the way that i used to either because i know i can just look them up on my phone um and, and that's not good for the brain so um uh but i'm still slightly disappointed with myself if when i when, when and and it, this i don't know if my, I think I think my brain started to play tricks on me as I've got older. I like the way in that earlier scene when Doctor Who says uh, Vrax Owen and Rig goes, "Oh dear, that's that's uh, that's not good stuff." Um, David Dacre, uh, uh, I'm I'm from the Midlands, um, so uh, and I I, be, I believe he's a he's a he's an actor from the West Midlands, uh, uh, and he, and he played Harry Crawford in Boone. All right, Ken, uh, which was a very popular series. And it said starring Michael Elphick in Boone, starring David Dacre. Uh, and he was also in Zed Cars. And he was in Moonfleet, which we watched as a school serial with Adam Godley. And he was the, and he's in The Woman in Black as well, the, the Nigel Neal adaptation of uh, The Woman in Black that uh, is very good and very scary. Um uh, and he's great. You you need some. He's very down to earth in this. He's very rich and extravagant in uh, the Time Warrior, and it's a gloriously over the top performance. But here he he he's he's very straight. Uh, as I say, he's the sort of point of view character, um, which makes what happens to him later all the more surprising. Um, uh, uh, and. That's what you need to do when you're acting opposite Tom Baker, I would say, rather than what Louis Fyander does. Um, but again, you know, messing about can can be uh, 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 um, uh, it, it can spread like a pandemic. Uh, it, it can be catching. Um, um, but I do, I, and I. I, I, and I and I I do like the way that the doctor um inveigles his way into to Riggs trust you need that I mean I, I used to get bored sometimes when I'd read, read Doctor Who books I go oh they've landed in a place and it's going to take them three chapters to establish that they're not the bad guys and um I mean there are some whole stories like Frontier in Space they just go from planet to planet being accused of being a spy or a bad guy um and I, and I know some of that is important for us, to, you know, because it, it it shouldn't be so easy for them to wander in and and establish themselves. But that's what that's the brilliance of the psychic paper that Russell T Davis came up with. It's it's almost like saying, let should we get on with the story rather than the delay the story with stuff that actually, you know, you can only go so far with, um, and it and it it can be a bit boring if people don't trust our our central characters. But but the the the, the way that they do it with this doctor. Uh, uh, in in this story uh, is is that you know his his quick wittedness is is his almost sort of uh, arrogant way he sort of breezes in and takes control is infectious enough. Uh, and infectious was the word I was looking for before when I was talking about over uh, uh, overacting. Uh, it's only come to me five minutes too late. Um, uh, is is enough to sort of convince. Uh, Rig, who you know we've established is a very sensible character, who gosh, it's quite early that he gets uh, he, he gets uh, he gets vraxed um, uh, with the uh, 
with the uh, uh, dentist uh, mouthwash thing. And now I, I do wonder where... So, because if that's a drinks dispenser, has has somebody got inside it, or are the drinks dispensers two sided and somebody's just the other side? Anyway, I, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't matter, and it's a it's a it's a very sort of sci fi moment, isn't it, where uh, nobody's looking and somebody well, not even a sci fi moment, it's a sort of Agatha Christie poisoning moment. Uh, and at the moment, I think because the you know the hand brandishing things has been uh, stopped, you know, with the laser gun off off camera or the half glimpses here, you sort of it's quite a nice uh, diversion actually. You uh, you sort of think, oh well, it's it's the guy that we've only half glimpsed so far. He's he's probably uh, uh, did, um, you know administering the poison or whatever that is. Turns out it's it's Braxoin. So Rig is now doomed now. This is the only sort of struggle I have with the story is that I, I, I it, it seems to me that um, the story is saying anyone who takes Vraxo in ends up dying. Um, but then nobody would take it. Surely nobody would take it. Uh, the people that take heroin don't, who die of heroin overdoses think they're going to be the ones who aren't going to die because heroin doesn't kill everybody. But you're not going to think that if if it kills everybody you, you go no i don't think anybody or very very small number of people um would would take something in the full knowledge that it will absolutely 100 percent kill you um now i may be wrong but i i just feel that in the past few times i've watched the story that's the impression that it gave me and i unfortunately can't listen to the dialogue too carefully this time around to see if that was a a misapprehension and i think so an, a slight improvement i think could have been a yeah well you end up dying of it usually because you'll create you know your your habit goes out of control or whatever but the idea that no it's a drug that kills you uh, well no no buzz is worth a hundred percent dying for so anyway i'll leave that there because i'm i'm accentuating the positive but i just I, I just thought that was an area where but i suppose they had to be careful about how much they talked about the drug element of it anyway and 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 uh and, and i suppose you know the message for the kids is you know drugs are killers uh there's you know and, and, and there's no nuance there um and any good time that they give comes at the, the 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 price of you know your your life so so i so i suppose in terms that doctor who's a program watched by children i was five when this was on this is december 1979 so it's a month before my sixth birthday but i remember it so well yes that's how i mostly remember dimond is 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 is, is as a blonde silver suited garner on a monitor i think david dacre does this uh does his uh does his descent into um, drug-induced oblivion very, very well. Um, and I, I do think it's rather sad because Riggs a good guy. And as I say, you know, he, he, he doesn't take the doctor's nonsense. He does a little bit of research and he catches him out. Which leads to that line that uh, 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 Derek enjoyed so much. Um, but I suppose then the story... Well, it's a bold thing to do uh, with with a character. It, it it ups the stakes, and the, you know the story. The the story moves on without somebody who seemed terribly important, and he's got some he's got some great scenes later on. Uh, and yeah, canine going into uh, into into danger. Um, the uh, 
the spaceship does look like it's sort of made out of um, hazard tape, doesn't it? It's, it's almost like the walls are saying, don't go here. Um, but I, I like the video effects work there. Um, um, and uh, Tom, Tom Baker isn't as, as, as wayward as we're led to believe. I mean, he, he, yeah, he, he is on occasion. I wonder with season 17, if there's a bit of the sort of Phantom Menace thing going on, is that, is that fans of a, of a certain age, and I am definitely prone to this. I want, I wanted everyone, I want everyone to take Doctor Who seriously and to not mock my thing, because I grew up with people mocking Doctor Who. And so for, for me, it was important to point out where, wherever possible. Uh, I remember Stott in those glasses as well. Um, so this is Stott, played by Barry Andrews. We don't know it's Stott yet, but we've heard about Stott. But he's the mysterious figure, who we probably think is drugging the Vraxone. The, the and this is Tom Baker going down the same flight of stairs about 300 times. But that's efficiently done. I mean, the stairs don't have... They, they, they're not the sturdiest. Um, and you, you you actually see one collapse under him there. But that's a, that's a, you know, that's a good use of a of a small portion of set to give a sense of scale you know what they'd you, you're complicit in it you go well, i pretty much know what you've done there but i think that's perfectly acceptable um oh stott's got a nice scar so yes what i was what i was saying about this is that fans of a certain age and i i oh there was a set wobble there um one for the list um uh the 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 whole um thing about um doctor who uh, this period being, you know, slightly tongue in cheek, um, and th I mean that's, that's very silly. And again, you sort of know it's the same people, um, but uh, but it's all right. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, it's quite. I think there's, there's there's a sort of there's a bit of cheekiness to that, but I quite like it. Do I see this planet moving then in the model shot? It's spinning around. Um, I'm going to make this point about I was desperate for Doctor Who to be serious and not for it to be silly. And it's only it's only relatively recently, I would say, because I used to be quite dismissive also of people who go, oh, I like Doctor Who because it's frothy old nonsense. I go, Doctor Who is not nonsense. It's brilliant. And I think it is brilliant. But you can be brilliant and frothy old nonsense. I, I, I think I still prefer to take Doctor Who seriously, although I think one of its key elements is its sense of humor doctor Who's sense of humor is, is important it stops it from being po-faced and there's a lot of po-faced sci-fi and fantasy about at the moment and, and has been as i think sometimes a reaction to when science fiction has gone camp and silly um but i wonder if uh, you know as you grow up you want the thing you liked as a kid to be taken seriously as you know, Star Wars fans who were who were who were. I mean, I don't think the Phantom Menace. I'm I'm talking about the generation I am from, so I'm psychoanalyzing myself, and I'm not saying it's a, a it's a bad thing or a, a, a not understandable thing. Pardon me, but I'm trying to rationalize it. And uh, you know, uh, and and I think you know we love things like Genesis of the Daleks and, and the Caves of Androzani because they are serious. But I I do wonder now as 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 I as I am less actually inclined or bothered about showing Doctor Who to other people and proving to them that it's great because I'm I'm quite happy to enjoy my things and let other people enjoy their things. I don't I don't quite need to recruit for the cause anymore. Um, is that of course if you showed somebody 
Caves of Androzani or Genesis of the Daleks, it would look to them very little difference to, to this. Uh, and yet, actually, miles apart from the things that they are like, you know, serious, hard-boiled sci-fi, they are closer to those than other Doctor Who. But they're still miles away. The Ark in Space is miles away from Alien in terms of what it looks like. So you're never going to show a non-Doctor Who fan the Ark in Space and them go, this this is, this is, could almost be Alien. So it, 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 actually the sort of frothier, sillier, dafter, more tongue-in-cheek Doctor Who, which probably fits in with the, their idea of what old Doctor Who was anyway, might actually entertain them more than the, than the Doctor Who that takes itself, you know, essentially very seriously. Um, I've only sort of thought of that as I've been as I've been watching this, so it might be a half baked theory. But I, I always used to think if I'm to show somebody a Doctor Who, I'll show them the Caves of Androzani, I'll show them the Robots of Death. Um, but um, they might they might be more entertained by this because it is terribly entertaining. It's you know it's not there's not a dull moment in it. It's not slow. And I think all this stuff done in the void is very very well very economically and straightforwardly and simply done and this this video effect stuff uh uh that they have here uh is 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 you know it's 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 sort of rather new uh you can you can tell what's going on but it is slightly abstract um i, I think the mandrel eyes in the smoke are absolutely glorious the the mandrels come a little bit unstuck, uh, and I, I like a laser beam. This is the period of straight laser beams coming from the end of a laser gun, and when you're a kid, that's just amazing. Um, uh, and I know American shows could do laser beams better, but I I like I like the laser beams of this period of Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> it's got fantastic. The actor David Weston described them as boiled egg eyes, and he has, hasn't he? Um, yeah, Doctor, and and I mean you can see why he captured a captured a generation or two. Um, I, and I remember being a village hall thing. It must well, it was around Christmas, wasn't it? So it must have been a Christmas thing at the village hall. I'm from the countryside in the middle of nowhere, and we had to do a sort of charadesy sort of thing. And I remember this lad walking around you know with his arms out you know and i shouted out you're, you're a monster you're being a monster blah 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 and uh and nobody got it and he went i'm being a mandrel and of course i went well i said a monster a mandrel is a monster oh god i bet i said it like that as well awful and and he got a bit shirty with me and i got a bit shirty with him because uh, he watched doctor who but i probably knew more about it than he did because i was a proper doctor oh god the things we why am I still haunted by that? I hope he's grown up to be a happy, nearly 50-year-old man who won't remember that at all. But uh, it was because he it wasn't it was because he was being a Doctor Who thing. I I felt some some propriety. And I actually I recall I won the raffle at that. I I won so I never win things. I won some what are they called? They're they're fruit jellies, but they have a they're quite large fruit jelly things that have a, a, a sort of crystal with a liquid centre in the middle, uh, and they look much nicer than they actually are. And I remember being really excited that I'd won them, and um, 
and and they're quite soft and quite sweet and sickly. Um, anyway, um, hello, Lewis Viander. I did try to get him for my Who's Round podcast because I I did a thing. Uh, well, for some reason, I, I I I started searching for people in Australia first. I don't know why. I was I was living at my friend's house at the time. Uh, and uh, doing a lot of stuff by Skype. And that's how I got Victor's Ritelis, because I thought, well, I can track him down, because if he's on Spike, he'll be Victor's Ritelis in Australia, and I found him. And so, uh, and, and I did um, Ilona Rogers, who was uh, uh, in New Zealand from the sense rights by, by, by Skype. So I found Louis Fyander's Skype handle, and I sent him a message but I don't know if he even got it because it's a quite unusual way of getting hold of somebody. But anyway, I never heard back. So I never interviewed Louis Fyander and he, he died a couple of years later. But uh, as I say, seemed quite a quite an, a, a, a bane man. And there were a few interviews with him online, but nobody thought to talk to him about Doctor Who. They talked to him instead about his illustrious theatrical career. Um... um I'd be interested to see what the listeners out there think. Oh, have I got... I've asked my... Uh, I've asked... Uh, I occasionally ask some of the, the patrons for their their theories uh, on the stories I'm about to watch. I don't know if I asked anybody about Nightmare on Eden. Um, um, and it's interesting, isn't it, that, that Bob, Bob May... Bob Baker, having always been part of Bob Baker and Dave Martin, uh, uh, is is doing uh, is doing this one on his own, uh, and I think to no detriment. I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting script, really interesting story. Uh, Bob Baker is, of course, uh, wrote for Wallace and Gromit as well. Um, ah, and here we have Waterguard Fist and Landing Officer Costa, Landing Officer Costa is Peter Craze, who started his Doctor Who career playing a rather large role in the Space Museum, Darko, um, uh, one of the uh, the lovely young Zerons. Uh, Peter Craze died on the last day of last year, sadly. Um, uh, he was a, a highly regarded drama teacher, a very busy radio actor, uh, and also the brother of Michael Craze, who played Ben. Uh, he's also um, plays the Frenchman in one of the episodes of... Uh, uh, the war games, Dupont, um, and he was a really nice guy. And he he died within a week of Jeremy Bullock, who's also in the Space Museum with him, who was uh, who was a a, a fellow um, Corona, I think, uh, drama school kid. That's why they, that's where they got the young actors from and uh, the Space Museum. Um, and Peter, we did get for the for the DVD commentary of this, and I'm very pleased because we couldn't get Jeffrey Hinsliff, who was for years Don Brennan in Coronation Street. He's also Jack Tyler in uh in image of the fendal uh so he's been in it not actually that long ago um but um i i think he i think both of these two guys decide to sort of follow tom baker's way of doing things as well and they've both got a bit too much glitter on yes i think they do comedy door acting here um it's yeah it's 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 they they give it a the they're, they're playing the sort of slightly farcical uh element of it they are you know they are supposed to be inept um customs men and so they go for the you know shall we do hapless running hapless getting through a door stuff and and again the it's this 
I think a slightly the, the slightly sort of uh, we're in space, so yes, we'll give them sort of customs officers hats and uniforms and stuff, but we'll make the lining all glittery because when people are in, because space is quite glittery, isn't it? So that's what people are going to wear in space. Um, I remember that episode ending, and I didn't notice the glitter when I was five. It all seemed terribly serious to me. Uh, so I've been quite picky there, but I I think it's the reason I uh, I've been picky is because I'm. Uh, I, I'm holding my hands up and saying I I really enjoy this story, but I'm I'm trying to understand where fandom was coming from when, for many years, uh, season seventeen was uh, was a was a dirty couple of words. It was it was uh, it, it was it was not very highly regarded. It, people spoke of it as if it was something that you'd stepped in, and, and largely because of the because of the humor and I, I i mean as i say i think the humor of doc 2 is really really important but i i i do think you have to judge it and i do think it was a time uh on television when you could when you could go too far if you wanted to but actually the humor even if you look at things like zed cars and, and gritty programs of the time it was at a time when a comedy character would be, you know, annoying neighbour or whatever, would be a slightly broader performance than perhaps some of the... And performances were slightly broader as well. So this isn't just Doctor Who. It's not like Doctor Who had this sort of silly high comedic streak and everything around it was very serious. Even even in, you know, the cop shows, you would, you would get characters or caricatures... Um, uh, particularly of working class characters, I think some of the, some of the time uh, who, who were played rather, you know, who were, who were, you know, played with a metaphorical uh, hump and twitch or whatever. Um, so that's the other thing because we watch Doctor Who so much more than perhaps we watch other stuff. When I say we, I mean me. <laughs> um, but but yeah, even stuff that seemed quite sort of gritty and grown up at the time is much broader. So any broadness in Doctor Who has to be taken in context. And actually, I find, I you know, I find it all very entertaining. I think I think Nightmare of Eden is a, yeah, it's Nightmare of Eden, don't you know? Uh, I mean, any idiot knows that. So if you're listening and going, oh, I can never remember what it's called. I mean, call yourself a fan. Um, so what am I going to choose as my favourite thing of episode two? Well, I think. I mean, do I just say the? Do I just say the drug? Do I just say the 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 drug element of the story? Uh, but I I do like the fact that the drug is the mandrels, which comes in a bit later. Um, do I say David Dacre? Because I like David Dacre, and I like the fact. I mean, I don't like the fact that he gets drugged, and and doomed. But it is a very effective, sort of twist in the story um oh it's a tricky one because it's a case of where do i put what i'm choosing because i don't plan this in advance you see um derek's already chosen the dialogue um 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 yeah, I'll choose I'll choose David Dacre as Captain Rig, just because uh, I think it's a good performance. It's very different to his his different from his performance in the Time Warrior for the same director, uh, and also because I like I like the character who you know moves from being our point of view character to being stricken and and I mean he gets some great stuff uh, he gets some great stuff 
uh, next week. But I know I've got other, you know, I've got other, I've got, I've got other things I'm going to need to choose. So I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm not 100% convinced I've chosen the right thing for this episode, but I'm thinking on my feet and I can't pause because that would be boring to listen to. David Dacre as Captain Rig, who is, I think, the pick of the performances in the whole thing as well. Um, where, as we know, the, 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 there is an unevenness of performance. And uh, I think I don't think David Dacre puts a foot wrong. What does Derek think? The second thing I liked, the attention to detail. A scene when he's running through this passenger liner chasing after somebody. And it's the same group of people. And you know it's the same group of people, but they make subtle changes to it. They make subtle changes to the numbers in each section. Some of the, where the people are sitting. Some are standing. Some are going around. It's little things, but it worked. And other things that were being brought up at the time, uh, not just... Things like the you know the, the main plot points, but other things like the insurance. These two ships collide in orbit, and the two captains are arguing over the insurance premiums that are going to be rising as a result of it. What other sci-fi show is going to show you something as banal and yet realistic seeming as that? That is actually a brilliant choice. Bravo, Derek. Uh, and and absolutely, if I'd been paying more attention, I mean, I I I did think about going. I I, I like the fact that they use the same passages and the same steps, but I wasn't sure that I could really choose that because I'm not sure it entirely works. But I do, I do, I acknowledge it's what's par. Um, but I, I absolutely, the fact that the first thing that would happen when two spaceships crashed is that there would be an insurance claim, uh, is absolutely right, and it's a bit like. What I was alluding to in part one of, of seeing, you know, a, a proper sort of surgeon scene, a proper sort of operating theatre scene, which which is, again, a very those things are never going to go away. Operating theatres, insurance claims, compensation. And, and, and when you bring those into science fiction, you help the outlandish. It's 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 the sort of protocol version it's the form-filling version of the of the civvies that people wear in the film alien you know where the film alien went well nobody's going to wear um you know glittery clothes in space anymore people are going to wear the sort of clothes that they wear well also people are going to fill in forms and do all of those sorts of things that we still do uh you know in in, in space no one can hear you claim ha 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 um uh, I, I think that's a really good choice. I think that's a really good choice. And I love the insurance uh, uh, element for it. The, the idea that, uh, yeah, when your spaceship crashes, you do an insurance claim because it is the spaceship is the equivalent of a, of a car or a heavy goods vehicle or a cargo vessel. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's a holiday liner. Of course, they're going to have insurance um, and all the travelers would have insurance. Um, uh, love it. So good choice. I knew that my choice wasn't... Uh, I did my usual thing, didn't I? I defaulted to a person slash performance. But it's because I've sort of got in my head that there's a couple of elements for this that are choice and juicy and beautiful. Um, but I've got to I've got to choose the right episodes. Um, although, you know, there is a cause to choose David Dacre next week. Uh, but we'll get on to that next week. No spoilers. Um, uh, well, look, um, I hope you enjoyed episode two of Nightmare of Eden. Uh, uh, I'm going to go now. Uh, let's lay off the lay off the Vraxo in. Don't want you to be 
high as a kite because I just might start to check you out. Uh, let me go. Bye. And uh, I will see you. Uh, well, I won't see you, but I'll talk. I'll yell into the void in the vain hope that some of you are listening. And next time, the void will be resonating with my thoughts on episode three of Nightmare of Eden. But for episode two, that is the end. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you're very well. Take care and goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock. My special guest this time around is Derek O'Brien, who is a prolific blogger of Star Trek original fiction, which you can find at ussshorefoot.blogspot.com. Do check it out. And thanks to my patrons, who are many and include those I'm going to name this time around. Mark Owen, Richard Chalk, John Curley, Mark Dakin, Ian Gillespie, James Gould, Lisa C. Greco, Dave Hoskin, Jessica Jones, Andrew Jordan, Clive Lewis, Guy Lambert, James Lark, Gavin McLean, David Matthewman, John McClay, Rossa McPhillips, Stuart Mitchell, Nathan Moore, Matthew Newton and Melvin Pena. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you want to join that list of names, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby For as little as £3 per month, you do get charged straight away though, so beware of that. £3 a month, right up to, oh gosh, you could do a million if you wanted. Uh, although the rewards are pretty evenly spread across all of the tiers. There's the odd carrot for the slightly higher ones, but it's pretty much you get the same uh, no matter how much you can afford because it's all about what you can afford and there's no pressure, of course. Uh, indeed, one-off payments are welcome at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. And none. I just am very grateful to you for listening. However, if you're not supporting financially, perhaps you could just give me a little bit of your time by going to your podcast supplier and giving this a five-star rating and perhaps even a review saying nice things. That just really helps to tickle my algorithms and boy, they like being tickled. I also have a YouTube channel, which I'd love it if you subscribed to. The video versions of these audio commentaries appear on those eventually if you would like to see what top I'm wearing or how scruffy my moustache is. Uh, I have a website, www.tobyhaydoke.com, and also a comedy night on twitch.tv forward slash malarkey every Tuesday night at 8pm GMT. It's me, Waxing Lyrical, with four special guests from the worldwide comedy scene. Thank you.